Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. thing from Audubon. Oh, so I wasn't here. That was Jordan. <laughs> yeah, but you listened to it. He didn't cuss up a storm. I mean, I was there and we edited it. It wasn't... Well, it's more than I like to cuss on this program. <laughs> <laughs> this is a child-friendly, modestly child-friendly program. It's PG-13. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> um, you may have to tell your kids who are of younger ages, don't say that. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, because daddy never says that. Right. Right. Uh, I catch myself talking to my buddy up in California on the phone, and then, you know, he doesn't, never tells me, hey, uh, you know, watch what you're saying because I'm around my kids. I just assume he's sitting in the garage, Tyke, and uh, and I'll be just going to town cussing like a sailor, and he's like, Sadie, don't say that. And I'm like, well, God dang, Tyke, you can just tell me that she's in the room. <laughs> for Christmas story, my father worked in profanity with the masters dabbled in oils. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all right. I catch myself doing it sometimes too. I'll be, except William catches me though. I'll be talking to him on the phone. I'll MF this or that or something. And he's like, hey, Rylan's in the truck. I'm like, oh, sorry. And then he <laughs> proceeds to go right back to it. And I'm like, yeah. Jordan, Rylan is in the vehicle. <laughs> not ready to filter like that (laughs) (laughs) you you try and then it goes right out the door because shit happens the worst case i ever saw one time was we were at a friend of ours house and his wife was dicing up vegetables or something and they were really careful about what they said and she cuts her finger and i think she said shit but she said it like really loud and really like just with an emphasis and it was right at that i don't know man eight, i can't remember when kids start talking 18 months two years but right when they're just like as soon as they hear a new word they're trying not to land it's like, oh, they, they parrot everything and you saw it she's cut she cusses and she goes Ow! like after she cut her fingers i was like what was that about and then you hear shit 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's so, like that time I'll we went you to what, sunny's <laughs> no i don't remember that one but we were in the truck one time right Right before Carson was born, like days before. So Rylan's on the verge of being three years old. And uh, I called uh, my buddy Dylan. I played a prank on him. And I hung up the phone. And then my buddy Joel's in the truck. And he turns to me and he goes, man, you're an asshole. 
And Rylan in the back seat goes, "Yeah, Dad, you're an asshole." <laughs> <laughs> and I turned to I turned to Joel. I said, "Are you going to tell his mom, or am I going to have to?" <laughs> no, you don't remember. We, it was like the whole family was at Sonny's after church, and uh, he's doing something with a menu, and it wasn't doing whatever he wanted to. He's like, "This piece of shit." <laughs> <laughs> Everybody at the table's like, "Skr." What's that we're doing? <laughs> I got away with his one face or two. Goes like ghost white. I got away with one or two, but a lot of times I do remember that the way that I found out that that was a bad word is because I, I caught a hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, tried out that word, pow! Oh, okay, it's a no-no. <laughs> or give it to my boy. He's never used one out of context. He's not the one to run around and go, shit, 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 shit. But he, he like Jordan said, this, this piece of shit. I'm like... Fair enough. Don't say that. <laughs> but it fit. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think about them closing crab season in Alaska? Oh, don't even. Disappearance. The, the snow crab. <laughs> Disappearance. Well, yeah, that's how hard to describe. We, we should probably mention who's here in studio for his third time. But you have a... Uh, so you're third or fourth? Not a marine biologist. You're a third. freshwater biologist. Uh, yeah, freshwater fisheries biologist. Yeah. yeah. Kyle Miller. Yeah. Thanks for having me. But uh, it's it's a sad thing, and they say it's not due to overfishing. From what I've read in a couple different articles, they say it's not overfishing. They just don't know where they went. I, I don't know that it's been solved. I, no, no, no. Yeah. It's definitely an ongoing investigation as to where the heck did the snow crab go. And I mean, we say they close crab season, uh, snow crab season in Alaska. That is not the only crab they go and fish for. Let's say, do we not get to watch Deadliest Crab anymore then? Deadliest Catch? Or Deadliest Catch? Yeah. Well, they, they do snow crabs and king crabs. Yeah. And Is the, the snow crab? It won't be on the menu for a crab? bit, I don't think. I don't know. What's an opelio crab? Jamie? Uh, this yeah. is for uh, marine folks. <laughs> no, all, I'm, I'm actually not positive. <laughs> I'm actually not positive. <laughs> I know blue. But yeah, blue crabs and stone crabs. And spider. Let's get your local crabs. Get some blue crabs, you know. Yeah. They haven't disappeared. Yeah. You know, though, on that, Will and I chatted a little bit off mic. An opelio crab is a snow crab, yes. There we go. So, the opelio crab. According to uh, Google. So not, Now you know why they're called snow crab. Yeah, because Cause why opelio, would you want to order a pound of opelio crab legs at the <laughs> restaurant? Um, But my... I had a, whole, a bunch of thoughts about it, but one of them was that as, as a non-biologist, so I'm looking at Kyle for maybe affirmation, if you just had to take a stab without doing biological thought process and something goes from relatively stable, even though every population goes up and down a little bit, my thought would probably go to disease. Fair enough. I uh, my my simple answer here's the thought um they are not where they're sampling whether they disappeared or not I'm not sure but uh say it's climate change or something shifted location maybe they're just abundance of the population shifted that hasn't been located yet no idea I gotta give props to Will because that's what Will said and I said nah man I'm sure they're doing wider statistical sampling than that oh I'm sure there is and I'm sure it's robust but um you never know you never know. And, you know, the ocean's huge. It's a lot harder than these freshwater systems. We've got, you know, a pretty confined system. I would say there's so much we don't know about the ocean that there could be something 
are just simple enough to make him move a fair distance. So Russians, the, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at Snook, you know, communists. We're gonna we're gonna blame Putin for this one. Yeah. Um, the uh, a lot of the articles I read were blaming uh, the. They want to blame global warming uh, for the abnormally warm water temperature in, in the area, <clears throat> which has reduced the food source. And what happens when the water warms up is the crabs' metabolism speed up, so they need to eat. They need to eat more food, and there wasn't an overabundance of food, and so they're saying there's a potential for that to be the issue. Uh, but at the same time, if the water gets warm and they need to eat more food, and they're used to living in cold water, my non scientific brain says they probably went where it's colder north yeah, yeah. <laughs> further yeah. Yeah. where the water's colder yeah because i mean <clears throat> when you look at any fish species we have around here when the water gets cold they don't like cold water they go move towards warmer you, you, these these species develop a uh a temperature that they like and that they feed in and then when the water temperature changes they move or try to move to water where it's warmer or more comfortable for them to exist in if I had a, to guess, within the the history of the world, it's probably not the first time these crabs have done that. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I yeah. think you're right. <laughs> but you know, you and Jim, you and I also talked about the fact that how often do they sample that species to see where it's at, and could they potentially have just hit it in an off year? Uh, so I mean, there's also aspects of monitoring that there's fisheries dependent monitoring where you're looking at the catch from these commercial anglers right you've got fisheries independent monitoring where folks are going out and actually sampling outside of that and looking at random areas um the combination of those helps you know really determine the harvest and as well as what's out there as far as you know where these crabs are it's alaska i can't tell you much about their programs (laughs) specifically um, but i can tell you it's likely a combination of both and I think that the commercial harvest has dropped significantly as well as the independent monitoring. So when there's both of those drops, uh, that's when it's a red flag. Yeah, that's what we were wondering is if it's something that they monitor every year. Or what I was wondering is, I'm just randomly targeting numbers here. Let's say it's every five years. And maybe they had noticed that, gee, five years ago there was more crap. And five years before that there was also a little bit more crap. Not realizing that they the last that the population was about to hit a a tipping point, you know, where the, you have to have so many animals to keep a population going, but once it throw, falls below a certain threshold, it starts to crash. And I was wondering if it's possible that, and I hope not, that last time they did the sampling, were they sampling just before a population hit its tipping point and started to crash? I don't know. This is all like conjecture, but. I, I think actually Jordan was right that there's documented crashes. I, I don't know too much on this specific issue, but I, in the few articles I read, I think I remember actually a, maybe it was five, seven years ago, something like that. There was a documented significant crash in the population. So not unheard of, but I and think there, the extent of this one is a little bit more serious. Hmm. I'll say I think there's probably, if you look at the, the previously documented crash that there's probably a lot of similarities in what's happening now and what was happening then as well so we we were kind of we just briefly moved over when we were chatting locally and i was sick in salt water but apalachicola oysters and 
I, we kind of kicked around the idea that, man, once they have a closure, in this case, like as a layman, it seems like they probably should have closed oysters earlier than they did. And that's not me picking on fishermen or anything like that. It's just there's been a lot of changes up there in Apalachicola Bay, water, et cetera, salinity. But then they got so low, now there's no harvest. And what I was wondering about, because with no harvest, there's no commercial incentive, say, to maintain the beds or even try to really artificially start them. Not, not from a commercial sense. I was saying, I think the they can still sense. run their farms out there. They just can't harvest. Right. But what I wondered about, does that mean, like even, like I don't know how long it's going to take the Apalachicola oyster to recover or if it will, but there's a cynical part of it that's like, nah, once they got a closure, won't matter if you can walk across the bay on the oyster beds. It's never coming back. Tampa Bay just opened after the red tide closure. They're not all permanent. because all the water disappeared again. from Tampa Bay for a while there. I finally got that piney point water out. They're not they're closure on our they're not all permanent. There's no optimism. Right. But we're also talking uh commercial harvest closure yeah. versus a recreational harvest closure. Because we've brought back I <laughs> I did my research, something like nine species off of the uh, endangered species list back to a huntable population across the United States. Um, recreation. But it's recreational. Of course, you know, when it comes to hunting and the animals we hunt, there isn't much commercial harvest to do any kind of animal like that, if any at all. I don't think there is any at all. Yeah. I suppose it comes down to things like oysters. Because I do have a soft spot for people that are making their living that way. And there's always change, right? Because you get into big money is going to run the oyster farms. Um, I guess I, I hate the change, but if oysters just become one of those things that they have to be cultivated, they're not cultivating them in swimming pools, right? They're still out in the bay. Yeah. It's not like it's not like catfish where they're just smashing them into little ponds and it's basically catfish living on catfish and dog pellets, right? <coughs> But I would still, it just stinks when something like that goes away. But I, I if it yeah. has to happen to keep, if the only way you're going to get oysters is on maintained beds and not wild oysters, I, I really don't know if they'll ever taste the same or be any different, right? So, so be it. Then they just bring back a recreational harvest. That's just the new change and the new, the new way to be, I guess. But Well, you think about crawfish. I mean, we have crawfish boil every year and not... The place we source from, uh, from my understanding, is a wild caught, but a lot there's a crap ton of crawfish farms in Louisiana. You know, I don't know how those crawfish farms work, but basically they're all rice farms. Pretty much. And then yeah. you, you go out there, and, and long about February, March, you go out and you drive past them, and there's all these red pots sticking up out of the water. And I don't know if they have to actually seed the crawfish. I don't think them crawfish need much seed. I think seeding. they just show up. Yeah, I think they're just everywhere. <laughs> I don't think they could get rid of them if they wanted to. <laughs> But why not? They're good. That's one of the best tasting cockroaches I've ever had. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we we are getting some uh, non-native, some of these you know commercial species of crawfish are showing up actually even in the St. John's River for like the first time. Really, so the red, red crawfish? So, so, yeah, so I was gonna say. So I I thought that I had there seen are problems with these species. You know, like yeah, they 
are great for commercial aspects, but uh, I thought like that you I'd said s- you can't get rid of them though. I thought that I'd seen a couple years back where I had a, a cousin that was living in Palatka, and at like one point he was like down on the St. John's, and like along the beach there were just a complete ton of like red crawfish. And granted, I, again, I'm I'm actually not an invert expert so i can't tell you much about these things i don't know come on specifics. man what do you know i'm just saying right? whether fish. it was true or not <laughs> fish freshwater fish yeah. i know that's where he was but, living uh, and he sent that me so that are, video you so. know yeah and there yeah are these commercial species you know similar to tilapia which were you know farmed for human consumption i think we're going to have problems in the future with escaped crawfish just the same now well, i know that we do have our crawfish bowl traditionally on the st john's river we did not let any of them go <laughs> perfect <Okay. laughs> that we know of That's all were consumed i say there was that one time when we did ferry them across the river and uh there was a bag that was open and boats got full so if one escaped on its own that was not intentional <laughs> all it takes is two or it's maybe, not like we or, were fishing really with goldfish or something yeah yeah, <laughs> nah, yeah. Well, that's really shouldn't even joke about that. <laughs> but uh, if I remember correctly, Jordan and Matt were searching through the boats yeah. heavy to make sure they all made it to the pot. And if they didn't make it to the pot, there were a couple of dead ones inside the boat. I don't think they can actually climb the metal side of my boat. So, <laughs> should I smell great? I say, yeah, that's how you found no, them. I found them the next day, actually, because I searched <clears throat> the piss out of my boat the next day because I knew that I didn't want them to sit there for a week. And really just get completely rank. <laughs> I have two segues, but one, when you talk about stanky things, one time when I was doing all my diving, I came back from a dive trip and apparently left a lobster antenna in my car. Oh, And we God. went away someplace for like a week and a half. And of course, it's lobster diving. It ain't January. Well, I guess you can dive in January. It was like... Right after the season opened. So it's still hot as sin in the garage. Came home and it was one of those things that at first, you're like, something stinks in here. <laughs> the reason it wasn't so repulsive is because it was inside the car and I was smelling it through the car. Oh, oh no. Yeah, it sat there and festered, man. Um, but I was going to say, since we're talking about crawfish boil, we're probably going to do one. When do we say? We haven't picked the official. Same thing. time as. Give or take, well, was it? It's going to be late April. Late April. Year, yeah. Yeah. What a segue to talk about the things we have coming up before then. Yeah. Reminding people that we have a small game, primarily you, hey, dove hunt. Sorry, before you start that, Jim, it also reminded me that me and William spoke about it the other day. We have not, we've yet to post our Ocala hunt with, uh, that we're going to do a full weekend of camping and everything. Okay. We have to pick a date for the Ocala hunt <laughs> and post the Ocala hunt. But back to subjects about where we do have things that are posted. <laughs> Probably should have the dates. It's the weekend right after Thanksgiving. We're doing the Seminole Ranch small game hunt. We'll probably pound a couple of doves. Hopefully a whole bunch of them. And then October 17th, we got Charles Bronson. Mainly squirrels. That is a squirrel mecca. That's no, little, no, not no, October no, 17th, because no, no, no. today passed, is the 20th. Yeah, yeah you know, I did the last time. Let's make that December <laughs> December 17th. <laughs> I was going to say, dadgummit, we're going to our own hunt. We did that a couple weeks ago. December 17th, got Charles Bronson, and that's the one we actually talked about, maybe having everybody kick in 50 bucks a head, and um, the team that brings back the most squirrels gets to split 
and we and let them name a charity. So now have. here's the thing: you say name it, but Ten Can, okay, which we raised money for at the last Crawfish Bowl, was actually talking about uh, tossing around the idea on their page of doing a squirrel hunting competition. So if Matt Burke wants to come meet us out there at Ten Can and have some of his guys show up, and they want to do a fifty-fifty uh, squirrel hunting competition there, I'm all for it. I think we should extend Matt Burke an invitation. I think to we come. should. That's going to really make fun. the competition. I think. Yeah. Maybe we could do a UPO versus Ten Can. Ooh. Ooh. Of course, they win no matter what because they still get the prize. <laughs> yeah, they get half the money, but yeah, good cause. And then the uh, last one, Seminole Forest, which is kind of the granddaddy, and it is. My it favorite. is almost the. Uh, the peak of the small Sta- game hunting. Yeah. I think it's the staple of our small game hunting because that is like the one I look forward to. Doves, squirrels, rabbits, ducks. Oh, I've never seen a quail. But, but the thing I, is, I will say that this year, it don't come just to do it, but you can even shoot hogs in Seminole Forest this year. So. And piggies. Mm. So everybody's going to be walking around with slug. Cut yep. chill. You got to take your, yeah. <laughs> Lost art of cut shells. That might be a little segue there. We'll want to, I know what a cut shell is. Why don't you describe a cut shell? So you take a um, shotgun shell. Bird shot. Bird shot. And you're going to run a knife around it um, just beneath the wad or try to and leave just a tail there to where it still stays attached. And then y- your shotgun is not going to cycle that so you can't load it into the magazine you have to slip it directly into the chamber close the chamber on it uh but it basically makes what they would refer to as a poor man's slug yep the first time i made one i shot it at a concrete raccoon at about 20 yards and blew the face off of it i'll bet because you're taking a full ounce or ounce and an eighth if it's 12 gauge show maybe an ounce and a quarter but when you send that thing down the barrel you're not just sending the wad and steel. You're sending the shell. The shell. Yeah. So that is not a full choke item. No, no, it is not. <laughs> or it could be a full choke item maybe once. Yeah, that is. You're a, not getting that choke out after that. That's a, that's a modified uh, or improved cylinder only. Yep, but that's what the good old boys used to use in Lewis slugs to knock down deer. And I can believe it, man, because that thing pinwheels. Oh yeah. Right. So. <laughs> You don't know what angle it's hitting at. I bet you that costs a nasty swath. I bet you do not have to look for a blood trail. No, you hit the no, beer, no, and the no. beer is right there. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of curious. Like I would I would even go as far as to try and make up some ballistic gel to shoot it into ballistic gel just to see what it does. Because I'm kind of curious how far it would penetrate. Uh, but let's it, do a video on it. Oh yeah, it packs a good punch. Y'all were telling me about the there was a show and Tom was talking about funny things you could shoot of a shotgun, and then you started saying, "Well, there's this guy that already did that." Who's the a demolition ranch? Yeah, I still need to subscribe to that. He's he shoots. I mean, he doesn't do that much anymore. But when he started out, he was packing razor blades and skittles and pins and toothpicks and all kinds of crap into a shotgun shell. You should probably retread that. But uh, I mean, Jim shoots Monopoly pieces out of his. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, I'll tell you, Jim Jim loaded uh, two boxes of shells for me for that dove hunt that we went on. We're not successful. Not very successful, and then uh, last weekend, last weekend of duck season or dove season, I uh, carried both those boxes out to a field in Umatilla, and we laid them down, son. 
You know, it's funny when when me and Jordan went out. I told him I was like, "Yeah, I got a box of heavy dove." He said, "I got a box of hazily dove." <laughs> <laughs> some of those probably were pretty heavy. Yeah. I know that there was. I, I heard some. Cause this was a federal shells, and I was having some trouble reloading them. I remember that a couple of them, I loaded so heavy that when I went to crimp them down, I couldn't. I was like, oh, that's as far as that one's going. And I knew they were coming to loose because I could hear the shot rattle. Around yeah, one of the, the box. boxes sounded like a maraca. <laughs> <laughs> so you you might have been throwing ounce and a quarter, ounce and a half shells at those dubs. I actually kept all the holes as well if you'd like them back. Nope. I don't, I, I'm not loading those federal holes again. I'm down in Remington's and <laughs> old triple A, old double A Winchesters. I kept twice. some, uh, I kept a bunch of 20 gauge shells too, though, if you want to. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably take a 20 gauge. They're a little more forgiving. Um. Anyway, so got lots of events. Go to Under Pressure Outdoors on Facebook and RSVP, or you can look them up just by typing in Seminole Ranch Small Game or Dove Hunt Charles Bronson. It'll all pop right up as events in Facebook, and click on an RSVP. Let us know you're coming. We also have now though. Uh, William has started the uh, Florida oh, yeah. Small Game Hunters page which is also welcome to you don't have to be in florida to join it so. yeah yeah but kyle you're it's you're engaged resource. right big updates newly engaged yes sir excitedly so we have small game hunts what a great way to start breaking in the soon-to-be mrs kyle miller that sometimes saturdays are not for girlfriends they are or afternoons are okay but with the mornings you got to go out with the boys for the boys <laughs> uh we do have a 20 gauge that i'm sure she would love to uh even carry around better, but uh, no, she's been on a duck hunt with me. She, uh, I think she enjoyed it. You know, it doesn't have to come out every time, but uh, <laughs> she yeah. definitely enjoyed it when she came out. Uh, hey, so I've tried to get my wife out a hundred times, just not going. But if she doesn't want to go, I'm still going. Yeah, I took Katie on that dove hunt on Sunday, and after she was like, "That was not what I thought it was going to be." And I was like, "No, dove hunts are fun, man. You just hang out with the boys. You BS the whole time." And then you're like, oh, piss doves. And you just start shooting. It's kind of like a duck hunt. Yeah. She well, dove hunts are a little even more relaxed. Yeah. Did she get rained on at all? Oh, yeah. We got rained on. Perfect. The full experience. Rained on. We rained upon. Not not wet rain. Lead rain. Yeah. Yeah. We were also just sitting on the bed of a flatbed truck underneath some pine trees, but we did good. That's not bad. How many did you come out with out of that hunt? Ten. That's not bad. Close to a limit. Yeah. And Belle, son. Did she get any turds this time? No. No, we won't speak of that. But uh, Oh, I think you should. No, I shouldn't. I, <laughs> my dog's a shit eater. So a- after that, I heard them talking about on some other podcast, why dogs eat poo. And the biologist said that they think in his opinion the dogs eat poo because back in the day that was a way if they were sick that they would keep the other dogs from getting sick so if your dog was eating your poo jordan that tells me that you were probably not laying down healthy specimens (laughs) it was not dog was trying to save the rest of us It was not healthy. By the way, Kyle, uh, Jordan had to make a trip to I the woods. I think I got the gist yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I made a trip. I'll tell it, dadgummit. All right. So we were dove hunting. and uh, We were dove watching. Yeah. yeah. Dove, well, we were watching the sky, not yeah. seeing doves. We listened to other guys hunt doves. And uh, 
we had Jim had cooked us up a very fine meal that morning, but it was probably there was some whiskey cream sauce involved, and it was whiskey from the night before. There's no way you no, can blame no my whiskey, whiskey cream sauce. No, listen. it was too early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was no whiskey cream sauce. Uh, there was no whiskey from the night before. I, I stayed sober because I knew we had to leave early. Um, You're not we, about to blaspheme my favorite breakfast joint either. <laughs> I was gonna, no, I'm, I won't blaspheme them. That's, that's it was my the coffee. Too. We'll blame it on it the coffee. was probably. I'm gonna blame it on Jim's. Uh, yeah, you can. What are the? What were they? Uh, Those Bloody Marys were good. Yeah, I'm were, gonna blame it on Jim's <laughs> Bloody Marys. They, they was healthy Bloody Marys too. Yeah. And there were some beers had at lunch Spicy. as well. So I made a trip to the woods to the bathroom, and I came back out, and uh, the dove hunting guy brought us some beers, and I walked out into the field, and I was like, drink my beer. I said, Briar, where's my dog? He said, I don't know. And I beeped the collar. She came running up out of the woods, and it just looked like she had gotten into a jar of peanut butter. Oh, I mean, all across her face, and I was instantly <coughs> in furious. And so uh, I made her drink like a gallon of water, <laughs> and then wiped her mouth and inside and out with baby wipes out the wazoo. Briar says she had a shit-eating grin. Yeah. I said she was like smiling when she'd come out. Briar's like, per se, a shit-eating grin. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's kind of funny. Now, we, we got to turn, man, because this this podcast, we, here we have this educated man and an expert in, in uh, Florida freshwater stuff who is doing a fantastic study right now in a couple of areas. What are you looking for, Kyle? Yeah, so right now we're doing a project on a blue-nosed shiner. You don't know that one by name? I do I not. Do not. Okay, so, no. All right. So we got, um, it's a threatened species in Florida, not a endangered, but it is on the threatened species list. It's also on the imperiled species management plan, which is a list of 59 different animals between mammals, fish, uh, amphibians, all that, that we want to protect, came up with, um, conservation plans for them. Uh, included with that is nine fish out of those and a couple of them freshwater, a couple of saltwater, but Blue nose shiner is one of those. Uh, it's a really unique fish. It's really attractive for a freshwater fish. I got to brag on it. But um, here locally, we have a really unique population because they're really disjunct from the next population. They occur in the Panhandle in Georgia, a couple places like that. The next nearest place is here on the St. Johns River spring fed systems like Alexander, Rock Springs, Wakaiba River. So some of those spring fed systems y'all are familiar with. And that's the only places they occur. Um, only on the St. John's River, very rarely encountered. So we're trying to document what their habitat needs are, looking at um, plants they're associated with, but mainly looking at velocity, depth, and substrate, working with the water management districts to kind of protect that habitat that this unique fish needs. So, so what is cool that project. habitat that you figured out so far these fish need? Uh, we're, we're really just getting started. So uh, that'll <laughs> be, you got to call me back in, you know, about two years for that. It's, um, I'm actually really excited. I'm hoping to use that as my master's thesis. So I'm back at school at UF working on a master's with um, the UF Cooperative Fisheries and Wildlife Research Unit. Really cool lab. Um, they do a lot of cool work between marine, freshwater, and wildlife stuff. So very cool to get involved with them. And Unfortunately, I don't have data for it just yet or results quite yet, but I can tell you we'll be on these local systems looking for this fish. We've had a couple encounters with him yet. They get very colored up in the breeding season, which is uh, early spring to summer, early spring, summer, kind of April to July, roughly, we'll say. 
haven't quite seen them with the blue nose and elongated fins. Like they're the blue nose shiner, right? That's the the feature they're known for. It's a really vibrant blue nose, but it's only during the breeding season. So <laughs> unfortunately, I haven't seen too many that are those colored up individuals yet, but we're starting to kind of dial in kind of seeing where they tend to occur, but looking for the data to back it up that we can use with the water management to kind of protect these habitats they use. So you see like the, the typical, I guess, if you bought a wild shiner <clears throat> at the bait store, they're kind of a goldish color with the red on the end of their fins. Yep. And I've, I've seen a far better looking, obviously, wild shiner in the wild. than, And then you go, your, your typical shiner that you buy at the bait store, your, uh, I guess... Farmed shiners all silver. Aren't they called but golden you, shiners? I was going to say, you had yeah. it right with your description. It's funny. You're spot on. That is generally a golden shiner is the common bait species. Um, yeah. Whether there are wild caught or farm raised, which generally you just pay more for the wild caught, but they work better. Um, so, well, that, But they but they look better. They do. Yeah. And, and they look well like they're wild shiners, not like they're farm. Because <laughs> right? a farm raised, a farm, I guess it's, it's still a golden shiner the farm raised are. Correct. Generally, generally. But they look different than a wild golden shiner. They do, and that can be, you know, due to water clarity or right. the tannins in the water or something like that. But those fish, they're generally the bait species. They're very lively, but they also get bigger. So the shiners I'm working on, they only get to about two inches maximum. So yeah. there, there are a bunch of other shiners out there, like metallic shiners, stuff like that, that not really common fish, but they're very ornamental so to speak for a freshwater species that they're pretty unique um generally only in places with good water quality good dissolved oxygen good flow stuff like that so not very widespread i think a lot of people don't encounter them they're very small bodied you know you wouldn't use it as bait so not many people have heard of them you know it's a very cool fish to work with and i'm excited to see more of them yeah can you go through the process as to how do you find them do you suspect that they're in an area? So we're actually using historical records, uh, and there's not many. We're looking back um, as far as I think like the 60s is about where some of these museum historical records occur. Looking, a lot of those museum documented records come with GPS locations. Even back then, they were documenting where they occurred at. But some of those, because we've changed essentially the base layer of the gps even if you have an xy coordinate that might not align with the base map that we use in this day and age so even with that information we're not necessarily exactly spot on where they encountered them but that has helped us find the systems they're on which namely the ones we're going to be researching are rock rock springs alexander springs and wakaiba river yeah i mean i was excited when we talked about that because that's kind of my home exactly home base, right yeah oh man dude i grew up my formative years spent in the rock springs like kelly park it's gorgeous oh it's it's beautiful and and i mean i would say it's still pretty but it used to be better yeah we're seeing huge habitat loss a lot of these places had submerged vegetation specifically eelgrass is one of the common ones but a lot of the submerged vegetation is gone because you see a lot of foot traffic, you see a lot of boat traffic, and that's, you know, it's a, a resource that people are going to use rightfully. So, you know, it needs to be open to the public, but to an extent where it doesn't damage what's there. We, we I was going to gonna say, I, I was talking to somebody a while back, and they had just gone to Rock Springs. And I was like, are there still a bunch of bass and stuff in the big pool? I was like, because I remember back in the day, we were kids, you would float into the big pool, and there was, like you said, a bunch of eelgrass. I mean, they were just slab sun huge bass huge bluegill everywhere and they were like 
I said, they're, they're all in the eelgrass in a big pool, and they're like, what eelgrass? What? So Rock still has some, but the, the fish, you know, I think a lot of the places in between are missing it, so they might not make it all the way. I think you're missing a lot of those bass still these days. But um, there's just like Alexander, there. Silver Glen, a lot of them are the ones that are really, they've been hit hard. Juniper, a lot of those have lost a lot of that submerged habitat just since Hurricane Irma, and it hasn't bounced back. There's been restoration efforts that have been diminished by herbivory between tilapia <laughs> turtles all kinds of nonsense but it's been difficult we're trying to get this submerged vegetation back because it's the habitat that fish everything needs and uh it's been a struggle so the the big thing i noticed between rock springs when i was a kid and rock springs the last time i was there which has still been a couple of years ago um it used to be that the swimming area was cold and it's become so popular for reasons I'm sure most can assume. The swimming area is not very cold anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't That's think they're peeing warm. Oh, <laughs> the amount of people that get there. You, you Now, if you want to go to Rock Springs in the summertime, you got to be there hours before it opens because it'll be full It'll be full up in the first two hours. Well, we could show up there at noon as a kid <clears throat> and be fine. Yeah. I've seen your son and I see you now. You have a lot more insulation on now. That's why it's not so cold. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, once you, once you, you use your research, you go out, you identify an area. I'm assuming you know what habitat that they really like. What's next? How do you, how do you find out whether they're there or not? Uh, basically what we're looking for is the ratio of utilized habitat to available habitat. Uh, so we're looking at randomly sampled habitat all throughout the river, whether the fish are there or not. And we're going to look at the same qualities of those habitats, see what's there. So we look at then once we find the fish, those same qualities of habitat. So see what they're using. If it's a proportion that is much higher, what they're utilizing versus what's available, then we know that's a habitat that's worth protecting. Uh, whether that relates to maybe the velocity, whether there's a certain flow that they need because that provides their food or provides fresher water that has higher dissolved oxygen. Maybe there's a certain flow they need. So we're going to try to find those areas. They use higher flow more than it is available at a higher proportion. How do you actually find the fish, though? Yeah, well, see, I think oh, what Jim was saying is how, no, how, are, you actually, <laughs> Hopefully it's how, how are you catching them? Yeah. Uh, for the most part, it's electrofishing, what we'll be doing, because that is a standardized <laughs> method. So it'll be electrofishing. Um, in, in the past, there's been surveys where they even use snorkel surveys for similar species. And I think there's value in stuff like that, where there's certain characteristics, like I mentioned, that blue nose, which is a breeding characteristic. Maybe we can do a snorkel survey, see specifically what months they've got it. Maybe you narrow in on their breeding season and know that that's a certain time you want to manage for their habitat. So, so when you say that you're fishing, do the, do the shiners survive the experience? They do. They can be released. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of times that we need to identify them. And even in cases like that, they can still be released. Got it. Yeah. Well, I think that would kind of ruin the whole search for them if they couldn't. Yeah, I was going to say they're, they're endangered. Wow, well, they're here. Whack. Well, they were. <laughs> that's like the, that's literally, that's the lifelong struggle of biologists, man. Like you want to study bass. You want to know how old they are. Well, you got to kill a bass to know how old it is, unfortunately. Right. So like, it's a, it's a struggle, man. It really, um, unfortunately, as a biologist, sometimes you do have to, uh, uh, these fish donate their life to science, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's a struggle, but. Back yeah. to minners. Yeah. 
back to minnows. Yeah, you went on a break. They're not minnows. They're shiners, bro. I love minnows. I like little fishies. What's the difference in a minnow and a shiner? That's a fair question. Creek in a creek. Damn. Uh, y'all gave me on some good one. No. Um, uh, so, the difference between the minnow and the shiner, I think, gets down to the common name difference. Um, we've got basically the family Cyprinidae, which includes minnows, shiners, and carp. So, you've got a couple of different families of fish that fit into that same family. Um, getting down to the technical difference, it's honestly a common name difference what you might call it at a regional level. So what you're saying is the biggest difference between a minnow and a shiner is their price at the bait shop. You know, wild verse. There's creek and crick and there's minnow and minner and there's yeah, and naked and s- naked. So the difference between a minnow and a minner is a minner is going to catch something. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good bait. <laughs> I was going to say, you said it comes down to region too. And that's like a lot of people call like what we would call a speck. They call a crappie. Or a perch, or it just may come down to what you call it. I always thought it was funny when I heard speck. To me, I associated that with speckled trout because I've heard people call them specks. Yeah. And then I start doing freshwater work and I'm like, people are catching specks. What the heck? They ain't in lakes. And then, oh, specks. <laughs> no, that's a crappie. That's a speckled perch. Yeah. And, perch. Uh, but and exactly, you got people coming from Kentucky and then fishing down here and there. You know, they've got a different name for it than what we might call it. So I forget what the Cajuns call them, but it translates to like milk bag or something like that. <laughs> do y'all ever target them? That's something I need to do oh, more yeah, of. Man. Do you? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. During the. We'll get you in on our. Drill. On the Harris chain or something. I mean, they're great out there, and I just haven't done much of it. But. That's what I'd like to do. We used to have we used to have a fire spot. You could catch them from the bank, and I don't know that you can catch them in there anymore. I've got one or two on the bank that I think would be good that we can collaborate. I think we can come up with something. I love trolling for them. Little itty bitty jigs at slow speed during the spawn. Just get six rods off the back and just pull it along. You know, and then. That it's, doesn't it's work a, on the Ginu, man. You can't have six rods on there. If I got you don't two, even need I'm six, man. Crossed. Two or three is <laughs> fine. You can run three or four, yeah. Three or four, but man, when uh, even though you know a good size crappie is pound and a half, I mean two pounds is an absolute giant, you know. But when those little, when you're fishing them with little bitty rods, and you got two guys in the boat, it's the same thing as when you're out there trolling for wahoo. When that rod <laughs> yeah. goes off, everybody's like, "Ah, fish on!" You know? <laughs> so, but uh, I mean, those are you, you would traditionally fish those with, I guess, minners. Because mm-hmm. that's what you catch them with, minners. Um, that's what we always fish fish one with was was minnows, and I, I mean, I know people do fish for them with jigs, and you see these guys that go all out screens all over the boat, thirty five rods, just looking like a dang spider web, spider rigging, yeah, yeah, hang on the side of the boat, and. Uh, we have the when we have the crawfish bowl the first time they had a uh, crappie tournament going on on the lake there. Yeah. The boys get serious about them fishing all year. You know, mm-hmm. you they'll run generators yeah. to run the lights that they've got on their boat. That's how serious the lighting is. But it's crazy you know, crappie. It it's if it's not the best, it's definitely one of the best freshwater fish there. I tell you oh, what, so what do you got? What do you got to throw on the uh, the swanee to catch him, William? A beetle spin. Beetle, beetle spin. Beetle spin. They caught that was some of the biggest thing crappie I have seen 
that them that the Jake and Matt pulled up on those Beatles pens. And, and you that talk was about not catching the time you talk about catching them with minners, but the one Jake caught had a crawfish in his belly. He did. That's right. Hmm. I mean, a crawfish. It was you know that huh. big, tiny little yeah. thing, inch, yeah. inch and a half long, but yeah, probably <clears> endangered. So it's good to check. <laughs> they didn't know what to throw. But he. So the funny thing is, is we caught it, put it on the stringer, kept it there all day. Didn't realize a crawfish was in its throat until we went to go cook it. Like, look at that! That's coming out of the throat. Been on the stringer all day, hanging off the side of the canoe. Didn't get to enjoy that last meal. He yeah. almost did. No. <laughs> did you crawfish? No, it it uh, went back to the. Yeah, river. it hung out with Jake's beard <laughs> for a little bit and then went back to the river. It was, was it really still kicking? Oh yeah, yeah, it was still very much alive. Oh man, that crawfish is back in the river. Like, boys, I've been kidnapped by aliens. You won't believe it. <laughs> they probed me. He said, "I saw God today. Yeah. <laughs> he was shirtless, had a long beard." <laughs> you know, he yeah. talks about these. So we we talk about the Swanee, and he talks about the uh, the blue shiners being in like sp- spring areas. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if there are any any prominent in the Swanee itself because there are a ton of springs on the Swanee. Uh, and that's the bizarre feature of these fish. They just don't occur until some of those panhandle systems. So I think um, the next closest would probably be something like maybe the Escambia or Yellow River or something yeah. like that, way up in the panhandle, like very far. So you guys going to travel up there and do it too? You have a different set of biologists doing we it. We actually do have a separate crew looking at the fish at that panhandle population, looking if there's habitat differences from one population versus the other, um, as well as each individual one looking at what they need yeah what if there's a whole like difference in the and and the shiner itself between that population and our population and that's what we're hoping to find out you know and maybe we can manage them differently if there are two separate populations now you bring up the swanee river but how often did you see eelgrass in the swanee in all the springs yeah no that's true it's all that lime rock bottom yeah yeah but we never went up those the runs that we were on were all like 35 right feet off the long. river yeah yeah. There, are, there are some runs that are way back. Yeah. So, and I so, mean... Go ahead. I was going to say, it, fair enough. I, like Jim said, some of the runs are long, so you go way back some of those runs, you may find a bunch of your grass. I did see the biggest alligator snapping turtle I've ever seen. Dude, I thought that thing was a boulder. Yeah, we do have... Florida is different. I guess another random feature is that some of those panhandle rivers have more diversity because they were originally connected to the Alabama River drainage. Historically, way back when, before major land shift changes so a lot of those panhandle ones have more diversity so the fact that they occur down here in the st john's is a little bit more of an anomaly than now, now you've piqued my interest well, where is the Al- obviously I'd, I'd hope the alabama rivers in alabama but yeah it does come out in alabama historically there would have been probably offshoots or you know smaller tributaries that would have fed over towards florida that have then shifted to become florida-based rivers that so are not connected anymore Hmm. Would the Alabama River have been like uh, Lake Eufaula at one point, or right? Because Eufaula is a reservoir, I, correct? I'm pretty sure Eufaula, pretty... Eufaula is the uh, Chattahoochee. Chattahoochee. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that might be the Chattahoochee then. So I, again, I'm not quite as familiar with these systems, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I know it's we're talking, you know, huge landscape changes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but I think you're right that that one is again similar, where the diversity is probably a lot higher there because of those connections. But so then you've got them way up there and then you've got them down here. And the, I guess I would think of a fish that small is probably not a whole lot of fossil record evidence and things like that. But is the supposition that perhaps at one point they were more widespread or is this another one of those 
That's a good question. You know, that's that's a some lost bird question. dropped an egg in there, and that gets back to honestly, you know, fun conversations we've had before. How do fish disperse? How do they end up there? So, the scientific name of this fish is Turnotropus willaca. So we know Willaca is a town, you know, about probably so near Palatka, twenty to forty miles from these spring-fed systems we're talking about. So. Did they name it just based off a nearby town or historically would this fish have been on the St. John's River and in the entire main body of the river and widespread and now it's just limited to these springs? We don't know. So if you find the the records, you know, they don't quite prove it. We don't quite have documented catch rates or documented evidence of these fish. If you get into the. What's the name of the fish again? Blue No Shine. No, no, no. The Turnotropus Wallaca. The Turnotropus Wallaca. Yeah. Well, if it turns out that we have a slightly different subspecies being a splitter as opposed to a lumper. Is it going to be the Turnotropus Malaris? No, I like Wallaca. I, I would keep that name and I'd make them change. <laughs> <laughs> that's How about and the that's, Turnotropus Wakaiva? That's funny. I'm a, uh, I, I'd say I'm a lumper because, you know, can we manage? Di- but this one case, I think, you know, maybe we can manage differently. Most of the cases, you know, it, these different bass species, for example, I'm going to point at bass. Are we going to manage these different bass species differently? Probably not in the end. So do we need to speciate out? Is that where we need to put in all this focus? Maybe not. But you mean the difference between, say, a swanee bass and a shoal bass and a black bass? I will oh, point a right back in hot water black bass. We'll just say black bass in general. That you know, some of these black bass have been speciated out very extensively. Yeah, but when you and, we caught a swanee bass, and when you look, and at that one is it, that one different. is different. I'm not yeah. swanee bass wasn't my example, but okay, some sorry, of these sorry. black bass ones are you know very speciated out. Oh, but, like the Florida black bass. For, okay, I see. And I think maybe these populations are distinct enough that there is you know there is that separation longitudinally that. I think maybe there's a difference. Um, we'll see. And that's hopefully that's goals of this project. We're looking at the differences. Not many research projects have yet. Yeah. By the I way, I think it's really interesting that they're so like spread out. Like you, you, we have a species here and then nowhere between here and like the panhandle. Yeah. Have they been found? Like, and there's habitat that would be fitting. Like you mentioned, yeah. these Swanee systems, uh, there's probably some of those spring-fed systems have similar flow, similar substrate, similar eelgrass. Maybe they do. And they just don't show up there. So maybe historically they were more widespread or we don't know yet. So hoping to, hoping to learn more about this species. That's really awesome. So, so what are the chances that, I guess we kind of covered it. What are the chances that the the species itself is not actually endangered, just that we have a small subpopulation here in Florida? And there are difficulties with sampling for this fish because it's very cryptic. It has very niche habitats. It's only in certain areas. So if you were to randomly select over an entire river, you might not even select a habitat that this fish would occupy. Also, this fish in the breeding season, it's got the blue nose, it's got elongated fins, stuff like that that are very obvious. Outside of the breeding season, it looks very similar to a metallic shiner. It looks very similar to a coastal shiner. It looks very similar to a couple other species where maybe in the past it was misidentified. I, I don't want to point fingers. I could very well misidentify just as well. It's a very difficult fish where in some cases I've had to look at them under a microscope to be positive what I'm looking at. So... I think there could have been, you know, maybe 
misidentified, maybe missing data gaps where the fish just didn't get observed where it was there even. That's the blue nose shiner. Yeah. Yeah, he's good looking, right? Yeah, no, it kind of really looks cool. like a uh in breeding season, it almost looks like a weird style uh guppy. Not a guppy, but a uh It's pretty fish. That's like a beta fish. So here's beta. I'm gonna show yeah, you an yeah, example. Yeah. Here's uh, obviously the folks can't see it, but here's me looking at I was practicing identification under a microscope. This is a blue nose shiner versus a coastal shiner. You just pulled up a blue nose, right? Yeah. This is a blue nose shiner outside of breeding season when they look pretty. It's uh, got a pretty send me that stripe. Yeah, send so me that cow. Here's, and- here's the photo. That's what it would look like, right? And then so under a microscope, it's very difficult to identify these things, right? They're very similar morphologically. So it gets down to some cases where you have to count the anal fin rays, for example, is the distinction between a blue nose shiner and metallic shiner. Um, so something like that where you have to use a microscope to count fin rays and, and very distinct, unique identifying features of these fish. Um, sometimes they could have been misidentified. And I personally, I'm still practicing with fish that are smaller. I can identify an adult fish fairly comfortably, but I don't feel comfortable with juveniles. So it's a, it's very difficult, you know, and even with electrofishing, you're not necessarily encountering juvenile fish of these species. So sometimes identifying these fish is a problem of actually encountering them where they occur. How many, if you were to guess, do they have any idea how many of these things are there? Like if they said, if you had to guess, nobody's are there ever, more than a thousand? Are there less than a thousand of them? Nobody's ever done a, a population estimate or, or any similar. So I, I can't give you any kind of data-based um, to be answer total, to that. But, yeah, but yeah. from a, you know, from a, order of magnitude if i was to say more than a thousand less than a hundred thousand would be roughly my estimate <laughs> that's a, I, I know that's and i said an order of magnitude broad, yeah. estimate because there's yeah. never been any kind of population-wide estimate it's it's very difficult it's a very narrow range where they occur and and it's it could change from one year to the next you know, so maybe. is is part of like um trying to preserve the species is it is it not only do where they live but like they may per se uh, like nest or lay their eggs in a certain kind of habitat or area. Is that also trying to preserve like those nesting areas for them? And that's this fish specifically does associate with red breasted sunfish, which is another both red breasted sunfish and the blue nose shiner could be considered indicator species, um, something that has more specific habitat requirements than other generalists so a red-breasted sunfish needs more specific habitat needs than a bluegill so something like the combination of a red-breasted sunfish bed and then a blue nose shiner associating with that habitat it's really high quality habitat something where these fish um, they might be what you call an indicator species by managing for them we're also protecting other species because we're managing for that very high quality of habitat and the red breasts are little the little bitty ones right they can, they can get pretty big. I mean, they can get eight inches or so. I've caught some toads. Yeah, they okay, get big. yeah. Right, so, I dollar sunfish. Whenever, you're thinking, when, I'm, yeah, when I'm catching them, I get into them, then I can like, oh, that's long ear. That's a red beer. That, you know. I just call the them shell I know. But every now and again, <laughs> I like to know exactly what I'm catching. And I just have to remind myself. But then I, I wasn't sure if it was out of the red breast, but there's a fellow I know that he's got a place up in Georgia that I thought it was red breast, man. 
that's his favorite thing to do is wade this stream and crush red breast sunfish. I wonder, because you mentioned they might be in Georgia, but they're generally know. more riverine. So if he's on a creek or river or something like that, it could likely be it. Yeah. Have you guys looked Southern at, Georgia's. um, go ahead. At, have you guys looked at, like looking at any of the streams on like the, uh, the Seminole ranch? And because the Seminole Ranch feeds into Blackwater, but there's like five different springs on the Seminole Ranch that are just not feeds into Blackwater Creek. Yeah, and then there's also Seminole Ranch. It's a like a A Blackwater Creek. It's technically a hunt club, but you have to have been like born into it to get into it. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I was thinking Seminole Ranch WMA. My bad. You're saying Blackwater Creek feeds into Wakiva. Yes. Right. So there's. There's another bigger spring on there that I don't think is on the ranch. It's on the main springs, or sorry, it's on the main river stem. I don't know by name, but I think that's one that maybe has very similar habitats where if you were to look at possible range expansion or places you could do maybe restoration efforts, something where you've got spring fed systems nearby. I think that would be very worthwhile for conservation. Yeah. That, that's where I would like to look. Honestly, I was going to say, I think that, that ranch would honestly be because like, where where uh 46a like meets into 44 there's a small uh like cemetery over there and there's even a spring right behind the cemetery and then there's another spring that's located on that private property itself that has a good long stream to it i mean one of the springs i know was actually like a huge spring like we used to sneak over there and swing on a rope swing into the spring and it's a huge spring but it has an eelgrass covered like river or creek that comes out of it and that sounds i don't again i don't have the data to prove it but that sounds about like exactly the habitat needs we're looking for you know that submerged vegetation where they've got habitat and with flow good good water quality so i think looking into that system and again part of this project is documenting their habitat but then from there maybe in the future we can look at restoration areas nearby or trying to trying to document maybe areas they haven't been encountered yet but they could be there and it's such a small fish that maybe it just hasn't been sampled yet. That's really neat. It's 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 uh interesting to talk about this tiny little fish because even though it's how big do they get? Two, three inches? You two said? inches max. Like literally just two inches. They're they're tiny. It's crazy. So yeah. what I would call a minner. Minner shiner. Yeah. All right. It's a minner. It's a minner. We'll call it a minner. Um, but to an extent, they play a role in the ecosystem just as much as every other piece does. And they're it. You say they they coexist with the red breast sunfish, and I wonder if you lost the blue nose completely what that would do to the red breast sunfish population. Is that a, uh, a species they exist with because the, the red breast eats the blue nose shiner, you know, and yeah, there's been documented interactions. And I think this fish is so not studied that they don't know exactly what the extent of their interaction is. Um, would it likely cause a crash in the red breast? Maybe not. Yeah, probably you know, they're, not because they're I'm a sure they're fish yeah. like the metallic shiner that they're similar, but this fish is a known nest associate with the red breasted sunfish. So um, maybe there would be different chain reactions that we can't forecast. And this fish is likely an indicator of those. You know, it really kind of makes you think where he talks about like 
there's there's just this subtle difference that you have to find underneath the microscope. How many fish are there that like as a layman you just completely misidentify? Oh, 100%. Dude, I if I took a little uh, like a little kid's net and I'm scooping minnows up and I caught a blue nose shiner, I'd be like, "Yeah, it's a minner. Put it in a bucket." <laughs> you know? and yeah. I, I would not know any difference, especially when you're showing the, the photos of what's in our microscope. Yeah. Like, please send us those. We'll get them out when the podcast comes out. Yeah, they look uh, completely different, you know, later yeah. on. And it's um, it's something you got to kind of train yourself to look at these little fish. You know, a yeah. lot of the times in the past, I was excited about a big bass or a big snook, but now. I'm just as excited about a little blue nose shine or a little <laughs> two inch fish, man. That gets me more excited. But you talk about the dude. Subtle, I'm excited. You, you talk <laughs> about the fun. subtle differences in in like you're talking about Jim in just the what I would call uh, to lump them in one category: brim, the bluegill, the uh, the warmouth you know, perch. I mean, y'all know a spotted well, sunfish? No, spotted sunfish. They're in the no. they're in the Swanee. I'm pretty sure they're definitely in the Swanee. I bet yeah. y'all might even have caught one, but we they're, did. they're another, you know, and that's like a good example. I think where it's one that it's very similar to a bluegill. You, if you caught one, you'd likely notice the difference. And I'm right, curious. They're bright and they've, they've yeah. bright yellow on the bottom and they get little blue speckles in the, in the belly, right? No, 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 Yeah. So you look up spotted you sunfish. Don't know either. Look up spotted sunfish. They're, know. Uh, they're really pretty. So, they're, they're I was cool. logging them and, and uh, looking them all up. So here's the thing. Oh, there's, is like, green, there's green sunfish. And all right, so here, how about a shellcracker? You all know a shellcracker? Yeah. Yeah. What's the name of shellcracker? Other just, name for a shellcracker. Give me another name for a shellcracker. I just called them shellcrackers. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Right yeah. So they've all got different names, right? Yeah. So, like, I think that's the other confusing part is that a bluegill, you know, some people might call it a brim. Or some people, a red ear is a brim also. You know, brim is just a lump. But I, I think was gonna they, say, the I, common names, you know. Yeah, so a spot yeah, that's spotted sunfish. Yeah, I'd say orange. All right, orange. Yeah. <laughs> you, there, there's no yellow. If you call one, there's no yellow. Um, so, uh, like, that's like I had talked to somebody a while back, and uh, they were from up north, and they were like, you guys just catch all <laughs> okay, these. Okay, that was yellow. He yeah. pulled up a yellow one. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were like, you guys just catch all these different like panfish and you call them uh like you guys have all kinds of different name for them they're just bluegill and i'm like no no not at all i was like there's you know warm mouth perch Love, sunfish yeah. bluegill and what i would consider and maybe it's just the way i grew up what i would consider a brim is like a smaller like a small bluegill yeah well unless you catch a titty brim because people do say that. So I would have said brim generally, I I would say. So uh, is a, a bluegill, a red ear, a red breast, yeah. or yeah. a spotted sunfish. But they're just, like I would just consider the, like the smaller ones would be yeah. your little yeah. like. Kyle, I'll provide you with an education that you know. Oh, I know, oh, I know that. I no, know that titty term. Brim. Oh, titty, yeah, you got to hold it against <laughs> your titty to get the hook out. It's yeah, so you got to secure <laughs> that thing, man. Get it nice and tight. <laughs> oh, but the big bluegill, though, it's, they get, I mean, they just. That front of their There's face just falls right off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're stumpier looking. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but you want to talk about a, a heck of a panfish. You ever caught a Georgia giant? I don't think so. Oh, man. And that's probably a bread. That's probably like Oh, it's, a, a, it's definitely, it, it's a pond fish. An engineered fish. Yeah. Right. It, it's a pond fish. So they don't occur in the wild. But you can go out and catch Georgia giants. And I'm talking, the, you catch Georgia giants on a seven-inch worm. Fishing for bass, yeah. Huh. Fishing right. for on on crankbaits. There's also all these new records being broken because you've heard of the red ear, the shellcracker. Mm -hmm. You know they focus on uh, snails, mussels, all that stuff. 
Well, we've now got the invasive zebra mussel. Have y'all heard of that one? It's, yeah. It's not in Florida, but it's in like Great Lakes and stuff like that. Real big problem with Yeah, it's uh, cleaned them right up. I mean, water great visibility. Now. It, <laughs> right. But it, it clogs up yeah. pipes, you know, clogs things, accumulates on boats, you know, the ecological harm as well as clear water. But uh, these shell cracker are getting to enormous sizes now. They're breaking the records year after year. That's a joint. On shell giant. cracker because they're eating these zebra mussels now. That's a Georgia giant bluegill. That's big. Yeah. <laughs> I I've only ever caught them in stocked ponds. Yes, but <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a sight to behold. Well, and you know you talk about warmouth perch, and I have never caught a warmouth perch. And I'm like, oh, that might be a bluegill. No, there is a significant difference. That's dark. And what a warmouth yeah. perch will will hit, and what a bluegill. Them what are a bluegill. Aggressive. I don't it, think I knew what mouth. it was the first time I caught one though. I was like. It's just like a oh, smallmouth hybrid or something. I didn't, I I didn't know what it was the first time. I had like, to this, look into it. This, ain't I mean this is way back. but I can put you on a pond that is so slap full of those things, you cannot catch anything else. And I you like just happens to be fun. within a certain Locally? WMA. Am I correct, William? It's in, a, it's in a local wildlife management area. And it is tucked off way back in the woods. Jim, I guarantee you've walked around it a couple you times. Definitely we always go to shoot some stuff around it if we're and there. You, no, I, dude, I've, I've tossed a, a Senko worm out there. you know, A five, six inch Senko worm and caught a dang warmouth perch. It was not as big as the Senko worm I threw out there on that thing. They're aggressive. <laughs> oh, I love they that perch. Name. Yeah. I like them. If it's in the same place that I think we're talking about. It is. There's a... And you can catch yourself catfish on, um, like little piece of slim jim to your heart. Yeah, is content too, right? Yeah. Right in another body of water. That also happens to be the place I've seen the biggest blue crab I've ever seen in my life. Really, it's connected. Or? Yeah, yeah. That thing's lost. That's a long. You kid me? I mean, he was he was that big, huge. I I was standing there fishing with my son. Uh, fishing for bluegill in his quote unquote secret spot, and uh, it, it's it's great. Um, and I looked down, and I was like, "Oh, there's a blue crab!" And I went, wait a minute, that's a blue crab, and it was huge. Because because you know, I know that they are. Well, I guess we could talk about. Well, you know they're in the St. Johns. Yeah, but to get there, it's walked up another river and then walked up another river. Yeah, like that at the canoe lost. Line. I was standing in the ramp at the canoe launch, and there he was. Yeah. Yeah. He Speaking was Speaking of lost, lost, y'all lost out on shrimp season. No, we did it. not. Did y'all go? Oh, me, me and Briar went. Did you go on the uh, St. John's or somewhere else? Oh, no. So we missed out on St. John's. Oh, St. John's was on We went to New Smyrna. Dude, year. you got to see some of these. Some of those ones we got in New Smyrna. Oh my gosh! When is, is, I went is twice. It I went well, twice and got more than I needed. It's not that it really like, closes. It's just when they're there. Okay, I gotta go next year. I, I keep saying, Kyle. I texted y'all. That's like the biggest hole in my redneck repertoire. I would say Kyle actually yeah, texted. You texted oh, us yeah. after you catch you him. I forgot. Me and you were talking about it. Kyle. I think you, I sent y'all. I meant to get some of those traps from you. Yeah, I was talking. Yeah. I was texting y'all about it. About going. Yeah, I texted me and about, Kyle texted yeah, about text, quite a bit. I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I texted once or twice. That's about the, that's a lot for me. <laughs> but yeah, we were, uh, we were doing fairly well. We only went a couple times and got enough there, that we needed. Oh, that's not bad. That's out of New Smyrna. That's, I think, that's probably size wise better than what we were seeing on average. Yeah. I was like, dude, that, I mean, but that was like, that was our whole cleaned. 
not bad at all. Yeah, that's not bad. That's good. We got two uh, one-gallon bagfuls. I cleaned. Cleaned? Yeah. Oh, that's solid. And that was out of one trip. I mean, we meant to go again and again, but that was just some of our, that was our unclean catch. Nice. Were, good, were y'all dipping or cast netting? Cast netting. That's what I do, too. That's I, that's my way to go. I like oh, to, yeah. I enjoy it until. Uh, Dude, it's a blast. I mean, especially you get out and like. The, the intercoastal areas, and you just watch the boats run up and down the canal, casting, casting, casting. And like I said on the last podcast, I asked Jordan Todd about it. And he was like, yeah, I went. He was talking about doing it up there in the panhandle. I said, we took Briar one time this year, and after that, every weekend, Briar's like, you want to go again? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. going back. Yeah. Come and then you me. hit me up, and you're like, yeah, I got some traps. And I told my buddy, I was like, bro, we got to try these traps. No, I got to get some traps Come get Kyle. them. So, no, literally. They're just going to rust. Like, come get some. I'll- yeah give me a dollar we'll call it a deal like literally dude just i'll come, come buy some traps off of you no just come pick them up <laughs> like literally <laughs> they didn't work well in the st john's <laughs> so i'm willing to uh, where do you where do you use them uh, the guy i got them from did it on i think banana river and i wanted to try it on the st john's because it's it's tough throwing the cast net on the guinea the net's too heavy for my little dude, boat let me know whenever it pulls my boat tracks we'll bring it out i was gonna say man i had the the g3 we talked about it man i got the battle platform to throw that thing. yeah but throwing I, I only had I, i'm not on your text i only to go i only had to go twice <laughs> i got all i needed it was i wasn't going a bunch i texted once or twice got what i needed and then that was shrimp season man so i every year i i always get my uh crab trap numbers but i don't ever set crab traps uh, Travis Snow. Travis Snow has a bunch of crab traps that we can. Dude, I'd love to run some crab. Whenever traps. I don't know when the I've right time to do it is. I'm, I'm, we'll have to get with Kyle and figure it out. Do, no, <laughs> come get these. Come get these shrimp traps. You can I'll repurpose you, them I'll as tell a pinfish right trap. Now. Like, dude, I'll come traps. get the crab traps. Don't tempt me. I can fit two in my boat at a time, and I've got like thirteen. Like, <laughs> oh really? I don't need. I'll them. come get a couple. <laughs> yeah, for real. Come over, literally. Same thing. Like like you catch pin fishing, you just throw bait down in the in whatever. The no, bait from what Kyle was saying, I, you don't even throw bait. You just throw it no, down. They, so they are the guy built them himself. They're shrimp traps. So the the uh, whatever you want to call it, the funnel is designed for shrimp. So I think a pinfish might be able to make its way out. But he was telling me they just set it up in the current, and the shrimp would find their way in. I tried it on the St. John's. Did you get and, any, and, dude? I'd put it. I would throw my cast net, caught shrimp. So I'm like, all right, they're there. Dropped it there. They did not find their way into that trap very well. <laughs> not well. I don't know if they went above it. So maybe I'm catching them. I think what happened is I'm catching them in the water column, and these yeah. and the trap is on the bottom. So I, I think, think maybe the intercoastal is a better way to do it because there was a lot of times where like if I threw a net and I didn't let it set really good to make sure it hit the bottom. I wasn't getting that many shrimp, but if I threw it and I was pulling up like mud with it, there were just shrimp out the wazoo in it. So then that sounds a lot more yeah. fitting. And I think in the daytime over there, especially, they're more close to the bottom. Yeah. I'll bet if you threw just a little bit of bait in there, that'd help. Because we, when we put pinfish traps out I had some, I had in some, the bay, it wasn't I, get, I get half a dozen shrimp every morning, but they're not very big. Yeah. And the problem, you don't even try to use them for bait because there's so many. Uh, so what do you even do? There's so many pinfish in there. No, man, I'm just throwing, they're just in there gnawing on yesterday's trout catch. No, I mean cockroaches. cockroaches. Yeah, cockroaches of the ocean. What are you doing in there for shrimp cornmeal? They're cockroaches of the ocean. Uh, But they filter, though, is the thing. A a shrimp filters what's in the water. Mm, Not like a bivalve. I mean, they're bugs. I'll call them bugs. I'll call them bugs. Some are are lobster, though. I mean, lobster are bugs. Yeah, Yeah, they all are. All of cockroaches are delicious. 
They're great. Yeah. They're great tasting. Yeah. Makes you think we should probably try some palmetto bugs. No. <laughs> no, thank you. I'll just keep smashing those and hoping that they eradicate. No, I've got so I've got blue crab and stone crab, and it, my license says eight twenty eight to eight twenty eight. Yeah. You took the little course and everything online to get your blue crab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I, I put in for it. I, I mean, it's free. Travis has a bunch of crabs or traps. We'll get traps off crack. Travis now. Yeah, I'm I'm down to run some blue crab traps, dude. I put my numbers on some buoys and and set them out all over. And, the and biggest crabs I've ever seen are on Lake George. The biggest blue yeah. crabs I've seen there are huge ones. Yeah, well, that's well, there's buoys, there's crab traps all over Lake George already. Well, I'm the biggest crabs I've seen. I think somebody dumped them there. Was oh, they're massive on there. No, <laughs> they've always there's always been crabs in George, as far as I know. Yeah. It, that would be a good place. I, that's the closest it, place to me. I tried it back in Tampa, but it was just, it was so much like driving back and forth. I couldn't make it worth it. I mean, so. But from here, y'all aren't too far from there. Tampa? No, from George. I mean, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, just oh, so Tampa, like an hour, hour 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah, from George, it's not an awful drive. I mean. No, 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 no. I, I definitely, definitely go there before I went to Tampa. But <clears throat> we've always caught blue crabs, you know, uh, sitting there. At the dock, you go out somewhere and you're going to go fishing. Say we stay on the, the Gulf. You, you clean your fish and then you take a chicken neck and throw it out on a piece of string. And then next thing you know, you got your little, you know, your string rolled up and starts walking away. Walking away. You're like, oh, wait, pull it in real slow. Scoop it up with a net, throw it in the bucket. I love it, man. That is Dude, my I son's favorite thing to do. That's good action. Well, yeah. Catching them's great. Even cooking them's not so bad. But then, you know, you got to have a good group of people. And you got to spread it out like a like a crawfish boil, because you know picking them things, especially especially if you got a bunch of them that are only about, let's just call them small. You know, it's nice when they're just like finger to finger. But I don't know. I love blue crabs, but you got to have the right people to sit there and eat with them. A lot of people like catching them. They're like, yeah, I'm done. I'm like, well, yeah. I'm well, that's what shrimping is, man. You go and catch these shrimp, but you got to catch these things three times. You got to you got to net them. Then you got to get them into the cooler from outside of the net, and then yeah. you got to clean them, man. Dude. Cleaning these shrimp takes as long as catching them. You, you ain't never. Pain, you don't. But, you don't keep a a small hole laundry basket on your boat. Oh, I do. I oh, I actually use a. a yeah. I use a big plant pot. Yeah. but yeah, I got similar. You th- I, I bought a laundry basket at a uh, at Walmart that has like a bunch of little tiny holes in it, and you yeah. just <laughs> shake the dang. And I'll take that laundry basket in the water, and then throw it back in the boat and. Throw everything in there and pick all the little shrimp out and put the big ones in the dang bucket. Casey's my shrimp hunter. She loves coming and yeah. just throwing them in the bucket. She'll be getting out of there. Because in the Ginu, there's holes that like get the water in the back of the boat. They get in there, man. You got to like yeah. catch these shrimp. Or else I'll be finding them. They like, get under uh, my gun box and everything in my boat. Yeah. Like your crawfish. Yeah. I, don't, I don't mind cleaning shrimp so much, but. You get you get the dang de-vainer. It ain't hard, man. You just slip the de-vainer down. You got the back one you the like? I might need to. Toadfish to makes one. a nice one. I need to test one. I don't even think of that, man. But no, I don't peel. bother. I don't really bother deveining them. Any we started deveining them, and then nowadays I get them home and I uh, cut the heads off of them and peel them, and yeah. don't bother with them after that. Deveining. I've never bothered with the vein. Yeah, but see, I'm, I'm if a, you get the head I'm off, a big while fan. Fresh, the vein. Right. I'm, a, yeah. I'm a big fan of peeling each shrimp. Like yeah. leave them, leave them with the legs. Cut the head off. I mean, you can leave it on. I don't give a crap either. I'll rip that off too. But I'll sit there and peel a shrimp and eat them. Yeah. It doesn't bother me none. It's, it's well, you like guys, I, You guys know that you, the last, the last little piece of carrot you squeeze that right to pop the tail out. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 A lot no. of people don't know that. I'm like, yeah, it's no, no, no. 
they're sitting there dicking around. I'm like, no, what? No, you, yeah. you gotta you gotta get that just right, and if you're lucky, you can get the two little pieces that are inside the tail. Yeah. Oh yeah, little, little little fitties. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's a sweet meat. Oh yeah, it's got to be yeah, at least like one one seventy second of an ounce in there. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know that it tastes any better, but I feel more successful. Yeah, when I get oh, yeah. Piece of meat no waste. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Success is sweet. Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. That's what makes it the sweet meat. Yeah. <laughs> The backstrap, man. That's the backstrap. It's, it's like getting that getting that little piece of meat out of the last little tiny piece of crab leg. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do. I start with the fins, like the very bottom, and I work my way up. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll sit there and tear their body apart and eat that meat, too, on a crab leg. Well, yeah. Or I can tell you, I got a buddy yeah. that's... Uh, that just started listening to podcasts. He started a few months back, but he's, he's like, I've been listening every single day. And he was... it's His dad owns the one that uh, owns the property where I have the deer... That I've been looking at, and uh, that was also where we were going to do the dove hunt. And crows kept flying over. He's like Jordan crows. I'm like, that's a man of my kind right there. He already knows I'm looking for crows. <laughs> we're on the dove hunt. He's like, hey crow, and I'm like, where? Well, that was the that's the dove hunt slam, right? The dove, the crow, and the rabbit. Yeah. Oh, Jim, tell us about your uh, very expensive rabbit. How'd that turn out? Uh, I gave it to you. How'd I get it? I now gave it to Sid. Oh, well, tell me the story about how you got it. I haven't heard that one yet. Um, I was, I just wanted to walk about, man. It was hot and there wasn't anything flying. But, you know, sometimes a couple of doves will come into a field and you just don't see them. So I figured I'd get up and I would start pushing this fence line just to see if something popped up. And you had the trusty 20. And I'd stopped and I just, you know, was fortunate that I heard the rabbit break. It was just to my left. The rabbit break kind of started trying to run off behind me, but it stepped out in the open, and I, I still got that swing. <laughs> Boom! So the first one rolled it over, and then it, it wasn't quite done for. The second one put it down, and then we did the method where you you know the gut squeeze method on the rabbit to, Ex- to gut explained. it. Explained. All right. So in, instead of opening up the rabbit and getting to the guts, if you start like right below the rib cage, and you just squeeze it real tight, and you get all those. You could feel the guts in there, and literally just start squeezing it towards the toward the anus. You'll actually feel the guts detach inside the rabbit. So now the little gut sac is everything's loose, like all the. So you're just making it shit out of its guts, and then and then sometimes you just squeeze it right out, or you just take the rabbit and you give it one good snatch, whack, and all the guts literally come right out the butthole, and you're done. The, the the lungs and the the lungs and the heart will still be in there, but all the nasty is done. It's gone. It's just right in the field, and you haven't even you haven't even skinned your rabbit yet. That's that's one of the things I love about rabbits. So period, like you do not need a knife to clean a rabbit. No, no. I, I was talking to uh, uh, Tyke the other night, and uh, I was telling him <clears throat> when we lived in Kentucky, we had a massive amount of rabbits that gathered around our house in the evening in, in the uh, brush behind there and around it. And uh, I made it a habit of shooting them with my bow. So I one afternoon, I was home well before my wife got home from work, and uh, I had schwacked one at about 15 yards with my bow, and I'm standing on the side of the house, and I just brought it back as soon as she pulled up. So I turned my back to her, and I'm standing there. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, nothing. She says, you got something? No, I don't have anything in my hand. At the whole time I'm talking to her, I'm skinning this rabbit without a knife. I ripped the fur off of it, 
did you kill another rabbit? I was like, no. No. <laughs> but literally, you can grab the hair, like the skin on a rabbit, and peel it off. Just like a sock. Yeah. It comes, they're, they're super soft. It peels right off. You can, it literally, you can clean an entire rabbit with no knife. And they're so good. Yeah. It, I just, I, I, I got a lot of wild game. I'm still eating through last year and I was blessed with a great fishing season. So I looked at that rabbit and I was like, man, I can eat this rabbit, which will put me back a meal or two, or I can give it to somebody else and then I can go keep working on the. I feel guilty if I if I get to this year's venison season and I still have last year's venison on hand, I, I do have a little bit of a guilt. Like either I was eating too much McDonald's or I was um, – because heaven forbid I took one too many deer the year before. So we have been on a pretty much venison every other meal kick at my house lately because I haven't brought anything. I've knocked two down during muzzleloader season. but What's your favorite <laughs> recipe so far? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I you almost got you almost got steak and kidney pie tonight. But that means Ooh. it was that good that uh, somebody else finished it. <laughs> what steak and kidney pie? No, I just, just I didn't make it. Oh, oh, oh. but I got uh, so you missed got, out on a good one. No, this was good. I no, got the, a good the one. steak and kidney pie is. <sighs> I was gonna say I thought this was pretty pretty prime time. Anything Jim yeah. cooks, your tongue. If you put it on top of your head, your tongue would beat your brains <laughs> out to get to it. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> No, nah, man, you know, steak and kidney pies and those ones that, like people say, oh my God, kidney. You've had it. I mean, the kidney is like, oh, I just ate a kidney. Well, moving on. It's not, it's not grotesque. I mean, you definitely know it's got a different texture than the rest, but a lot of times I'll make the steak and kidney pie out of the heart, out of, um, and then out of the, like the, the paunch, right? The stuff that would, I guess be, what do they call that, man? Uh, meat and beef. It's a certain kind of steak. It's just skipped my skirt steak. Yeah. Right. So a lot of that stuff goes into the grind. So, you know, it's just if you, it's, it's a lot of times just scrap meat, but because it gets braised down and you've had it, it's, it's delicious and it's so, gravy. Coming from a guy who I'm did not. I'm requesting that for next time. Come, oh, come <laughs> next week. I'm requesting we'll have that. Have you back next week. Yeah. Coming from a guy who did not grow up eating organ meat of any kind. I heard stories of eating heart, and I did not eat heart till I was older. Killed my own deer, decided I want to eat deer heart. Dad gave us heart a couple times when we were kids. I don't think we so. We wasn't like anything we ate very often. Um, but uh, having that steak and kidney pie, um, I was kind of when I came into it, I I was uh, I was unsure. He was skeptical. Skeptical. That's what I, I'm understandably because honestly, the first time you said it, I thought kidney beans. I didn't think it was actually kidney. It's kidneys. No, yeah, no. I, I, I assumed no. I and now I. But the first time I was like, oh yeah, kidney beans. Yeah, that's, it that's was, normal. But no, kidney. You know, it's, it was so good that I kept the leftovers. But I can tell you, do not microwave steak and kidney pie. Not the same. Oh no. The kidneys turn into uh, what's tougher than shoe leather? Really, I've oh, microwaved it, but I just microwaved no. it. They, they chill off it. I don't try to get it hot. No, it was it was when I when I microwaved it, they were rock hard. Like I I bit, I was like, yeah, this is good, and I got a bite of kidney. I was like, no, not anymore. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what you did to it, but you know, actually, when I make it at home, um, 
a lot of times I won't even put it in the refrigerator. You know, just have a slice or two, and you know, because it doesn't last very long. I'll end up when I make it, I end up eating it. You know, two two, two meals a day. You know, oh, hey, just, two 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 or three helpings at night. Like the, like this uh, gumbo we had tonight was fabulous. Thank you. And had, had a couple right. helpings that night, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, give me the rest. I'll take it inside." And I, I maybe had a helping and a half left of it from I don't remember who we had in that night, but. It was wonderful the first time. Not so good the next Not as hot the second time. Yeah. No, I don't know, man. But there's a, the whole reason I started cooking with organs is mainly how that whole thing, like, well, I knocked it down. What can you do with this? Use what you can. Um, yeah, because I, w- I will take – it's funny. I like to process my own deer. But to me, the biggest pain in the ass is, like, making hamburger because it's easy. So when I, I will take deer to a processor just to get back hamburger. Right, but the because it's such a my wife loves to cook with it, loves making tacos, loves making goulash, loves making whatever. It's just easy and it's good to have some burger around. But then everything else, as far as the steaks and roast, I do that myself. Um, but when I do go to the processor, he always he used to look at me sideways. I'm like, I want the heart, the liver, liver, and the kidneys. And he's like, and now he knows when I come in, he's like, you're the only one that that wants kidneys. And what do you do with them? And I tell him steak and kidney pie or the other things you can poach them. But an awful lot of cultures in Britain, they eat kidneys, right? In India, they eat kidneys. In China, they eat, they eat kidneys everywhere except here. For, for good. All right, so here's another one. What's your opinion on gizzards, chicken gizzards? Oh, oh I love We all eat gizzards. gizzards. Bro. Yeah. Did right. you ever do the no, crane gizzards? Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's a texture thing, man. I don't know. Something about them. That surprises you. You don't like them? them? No, Casey loves them. I'm like. Oh, my I, gosh, bro. I but can't. You, you should have seen the <laughs> gizzards can't. that me and Jim were getting out of the cranes in Texas. Oh, God, that makes it less appealing. <laughs> he, he just held up a huge. No, that makes it less. <laughs> this size, almost the size of a baseball. They're not perfectly round. I, I I've not. been chewing on that for I'm, two weeks. <laughs> well, no. there, you, the thing about processing a gizzard, I mean, you open it up and there's a lining in it, and that's where all the food and shit is. So you pull that out, but then you've got you got an awful lot of cartilage. You have to learn how to trim away the cartilage. So if you're just like taking like a duck gizzard. And taking the whole, especially if you're not opening up and getting rid of all the the innards, that'd be really nasty. I imagine that'd be a little sour. But if you're just taking a whole gizzard and throwing that thing in a fryer, I imagine I can, that would be worse I, than chewing out. I, I can say that as I was talking chicken that. gizzards at the gas station. Not that I'm. Oh, doing that's blasphemy! Not that's that, fantastic. Yeah, not that I'm doing it myself. I'll feed the dogs. The dog you're not gizzards. going to the right gas station then. <laughs> you don't need hearts. Like hearts are even better than gizzards. Oh, oh hearts amazing. Yeah. My dogs love both. Especially <laughs> duck heart, man. My thing with duck heart is it's it's like it's like a pop and go, man. It's just this it's real small. You cook enough of them up, you just pop the whole heart in your mouth. And when we have a good day squirrel hunt, I feel like the heart, ten of them. I'm sitting there cooking up all ten squirrel hearts. It, the, the heart's what? not as like tough tough as a gizzard. The gizzard, it's a texture thing, man. I can't. It's I'll, I, I'd save it for the dogs. Like I'll pass it to the dogs. Save them for I'll us next my, time. I'll, I'll save them for y'all instead. <laughs> yeah. So the most challenging thing, and I was shocked that it ate, um, but I found out that it's uh, not Sicily. It's one of the, whatever the island is, it's just off of um, off of Italy that's not Sicily. I forget what the name of it is, but um, there is a sandwich made from pancreas and lung, fried. And it's like, I've actually got the recipe from Pena Musica or something like that. I can't remember how it's pronounced. And I looked at that and I'm like, all right. I'm going to try that. And long story short, I, I made it. 
because it's sliced lung and sliced pancreas. I think you boil the pancreas and then you fry. I can't remember exactly. How. But I made this thing. You put it on sandwich and with his cheese. And I was like, you can imagine. I, I approached the sandwich with trepidation. Bit it, fantastic. Like it's, of course it's fried, which helps. But uh, you know, but how many people do you know that are eating lung and pancreas? I just associate pancreas with humans. Like that. Just well, you put up a here <laughs> the pancreas, that thing that looks like, you know, just like a jellyfish. It's, in it's actually good. Yeah. No, that's, it's impressive. But that's what's Honestly, sweet. using the most of what you can. I definitely appreciate that. And trying different, you know, different cuts. Some might be better than we expect. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out where the thymus is in a deer. I can't find it. But the thymus is what's the, the genuine sweet meat. When you people say sweet meat, they're actually referring to the thymus. What is the thymus considered? I, it's an organ. It's in there somewhere, but I can't. I I can't. I've looked. Like I'm talking about headshot deer, where you get in there and everything's still pristine, and I've gone in there real carefully, plunking around. Like I just I just didn't take anatomy. You know, I'm like, where the hell's the, where's the? I'm looking online. I'm like, this is where the thymus. I can't find it. But if I could figure out the thymus, that is the sweet bread. So before we get into uh, <clears throat> what is a uh, fried blue nose shiner tastes like you guys want to jump into the tip of the week i sure. was gonna say I was five say, minutes i just gave it five minutes i can't say that i haven't eaten a minnow so there's been some times where i've been a little intoxicated and they're like you won't eat it and i'm like watch someone in this group will try anything <laughs> it's jordan yeah more than one hand was raised oh Man, I don't really have a tip of the week yet. I, I'm going to say that uh, don't overlook the little things, right? Because you, we talked about the blue nose shiner, and if you, we'll post some pictures of it, and I'll, I'll I'll give you a Google image there as well. But those little things in our ecosystem can mean can make a huge difference. Uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. and But that goes so far into every aspect of hunting, fishing, the outdoors, period. Don't overlook the little things. So, I, I don't, I don't want to... kind of stole mine, but you didn't. Uh, I was going to say... I just came up with it first? No. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, learn to appreciate the stuff that's around you out there, man. Because, like... Like we talk about, there's so many different subspecies, and no matter what you do, I mean, like Jim likes to, to bird watch when he's in the stand. Well, so here's so, here's a great example, right? So I me like and you birds. were yeah. me and you were out. I love to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> we're out scouting the other day, and I'm like, well, "What kind of oak tree is that?" Exactly. And we kind of bounced back and forth on what kind of oak tree it could have been, and, and but knowing having that minute knowledge as to this is this kind of oak tree is going to give you the knowledge to know when those acorns should drop Yeah, to tell you when the deer should be underneath eating acorns. So don't be afraid to do your research on all the little things that are out there, man. Yeah. Figure that, figure I like that, that shit one. out. I got one too. I'll, uh, I'll say get to know your local crabs, these blue crabs, you know, we got local, you know, local folks that it's their livelihood selling local commercially called blue crabs and uh, snow crabs are disappearing, you know, I think they're uh, going to get more expensive or not available. But, uh, you know, we still got a locally produced product that is very comparable. Might take a little longer to clean, but just as tasty. Get to know your local products. And Florida 
our Florida products. Yeah, uh, absolutely, man. But, figure out figure out who's selling your local. If you're not gonna go catch it, figure out who's selling your local blue crabs and go support that person. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I will walk over a blue crab or a a, a snow crab uh, ten times out of ten to get to some stone crab. I mean, we well, oh, yeah. yeah, stone crab. And, right. But again, those but, have always but been pricey. But we got but seafood in Leesburg. You know, we got somebody yeah. that sells so, good blue crabs. Um, and, there's know. a guy that the same guy that uh, buys all the gators in Sanford. I forget his name. I know his name, but I can't come up with it off the top. But you can go buy crab from him as well. You can buy gator meat and buy crab. So here's the thing: yeah, support I mean, your local when, economy. And, yeah, you know, I'll it's give sustainable. You this. If you're catching stone crabs, I know you can take two, but take one. Take one claw. Leave them something to fight with. All right. Yeah. Get the food. The regulations say you can take both. Leave one. So my tip of the week is how to cook penicamasea. That is the <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Slow that down. Penicamasea. P A N I Space C A hyphen er, what's the what's the one little quotation mark called? <laughs> just, just say it in English, Jim. It's Sicilian for spree, spleen with bread. Okay. P A N I C A M E U S A. And so you start with a lobe of venison, uh, the spleen from venison, a bay leaf, some crushed red pepper, some salt, six cups of water, some lard oil for frying, some simmerosa cheese. You want that grated. Um, and then uh, two nice round, you want good solid bread. A little bit of lemon and some salt and pepper. What you're going to do is you're going to take the uh, the salt, the red pepper, and the bay leaf. Throw that in the water. Let that bring it up to a boil. Let that steep a little bit. Then you're going to take your lung and your spleen, and you're going to boil it. But you're only going to boil it for like three to four minutes. You still want that to be rare. And you have to. I remember now. You're going to need a spoon or something to kind of hold the lung in the water while it's boiling, so it doesn't come to the surface. Take that out. And let the lung and the spleen cool. Then slice it really thin. Then take your oil, put it in the frying pan on high, get it nice and hot. And you're going to take the, the spleen slices and the lung slices. And you're going to deep fry them for just a couple of minutes till they're nice and crispy at the edges. Drain them out on paper towels or something. Then you take, you know, split your buns, toast them up nicely. Um, take the... Um, like so cut, As opposed to cutting all the way through the buns, you just want to cut like a nice pouch in it and then take your like cheese a hot dog in there. Bun. yeah sort of but you want a nice round bun you just but you want to cut away through it take your spleen take your cheese a little squeeze of lemon juice hit a little salt and pepper and i know some of you are thinking my god spleen and lung it's got to be repulsive it's not it's not it's texture is is clean and crisp and it is an absolutely it's a it's a fantastic sandwich that nobody would believe until you made it so tell you what, man. Maybe if I knock one down, I'll bring home a spleen and a lung. We'll bring that in. Oh, I'm down. But I think that that's it. not one you want. To, you don't it. mean to make that at home and bring it in because it's fried. I think we'd make that here, make it live, and uh, let's test it out. We want to hear the sizzle. Fair enough. Oh yeah, man. It's good stuff. Do you have a hot plate? No, we can we can we can put it out there on the grill. I can drag things around. And, no, we'll figure it out. Yeah, that may be a mistake. Get your pop in here. I don't know. That's easy too. That's tip of the week, man. Eat stuff that would challenge you, and then you might find out that you know the reason that stuff all got made into food in the first place. Specifically, the history behind that sandwich I was just talking about is there was a, 
there was a Jewish population on the island, and you know, they've got a you know the Jewish people have, have an unfortunate but long history of being persecuted and treated poorly, and on that island they were, and they the only food that they could get was the stuff that everybody else was basically putting in the gut pile, and they figured out how to cook it, and not just not just cook it, but make great food. And that, as I understand, that food, that sandwich that I just described, um, on those on those islands down there in Sicily, and I forget the one that's next to it. Um, it's actually a common street fair that's sold out of like vending carts. It's street meat. People yeah. eat it all the time. Yeah, yeah. You never hear about it here, but it's delicious. Absolutely. I'd, I'd give it a shot. Yeah. Huh? I'd try it if someone made it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also thinking about making a haggis, but I just haven't. You know, it's so hard to prepare. So I think we can take from our tip of the weeks in general is to uh, try to appreciate more. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. A more of what our resources have to offer us. Well, Kyle, we are looking forward to see what your research produces. Yeah, dude, I'm excited. So am I. And I I would be very grateful to share the results. You know, maybe I'll come back uh before I have finalized uh <laughs> sampling results, <laughs> but uh look forward to sharing with y'all as this project uh, progresses. Yeah, I'm sure you, we will have you back again. Uh Probably it was a couple times before that. I'll look forward to it. We're but, definitely uh, going to steal some shrimp traps off of you. Yeah, come 100%. by. Come by and pick those up. Literally, I, please. I just want the only requirement is you got to tell me how they work. I just want to hear somebody <laughs> caught something. Like, currently, they haven't made their worth. I just want to hear somebody caught something with it. That's so probably why you got them. them. Oh, yeah, I just put them in St. John's. They catch all kinds of shrimp. Dude, if I catch like two dozen shrimp, these things were worth it. But somebody has to catch two dozen shrimp, and it hasn't been me yet. You're <laughs> so. like the fourth owner that's had these 13 traps. Like, I just don't know how to use them right. It's not the right bait. No. Uh, the guy said no bait, man, I swear. But uh, I trusted him. He said he made them. They look, oh, they're legit. Come pick them up. I promise. He said they look great. Each. To each. To each. Come pick them up. <laughs> We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. I had a great time. Try anything once.